electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site, right in the heart of New York City's Times Square. Almost New Year's, guys. This is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Magnificent or mediocre? How would you rate 2023 on Wall Street? AI boomed, tech dazzled, but was the rest of the market nothing to write home about? We'll debate that. Plus, the flow show, a look at where investors put their money to work this year. What can the ETF inflows tell us about the mood of the market now and in 2024? And then later on, our charts of the year, from retail to chips to crypto and beyond. The traders break out their picks for 2023 and then look ahead to the new year. I'm Dominic Chu, and for Melissa Lee tonight, coming to you from Studio B at the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Steve Grasso, Carter Worth, Julie Beal, and Bonowin Eisen. And we begin with a winning year officially now in the books. A mostly mellow day on Wall Street with the major averages, as you can see, they're all slightly lower. But for the year, the Dow ending just below record highs, up nearly 14 percent. And if that wasn't enough, the S&P 500 within a whisper of its record high and the Nasdaq seeing its best yearly percentage gain in 20 years. Yet it's still 6 percent below its all time closing high. One of 2023's most notable performances has been the Nasdaq 100. The big tech index having its best year since the dot-com bubble all the way back in 1999, believe it or not, surging by almost 54%. The Magnificent Seven driving a massive amount of the gains in the Nasdaq 100. NVIDIA rallying 239%. Meta platforms ripping 194%. Tesla jumping 102%. And Amazon up a paltry 81%. Google, Microsoft, Apple also having big years up about 50% or more for those mega cap names. It's a year that exceeded a lot of expectations. So where can the markets go from here, given that setup? Steve Grasso, since you're right here on my right-hand side, we'll start Right here on the right-hand side. So, so, you know, I think the knee-jerk reaction is to think the market has pulled forward a lot of performance, so maybe it's due for a correction. So that's the knee-jerk reaction. So I always do the reverse of the reverse, so I'm not sure where that, where, that leads, where that leads me. You've confused me already. Exactly. So I confuse myself a lot. So I think that if you look back on performance for January, January is not a terrible month for the markets either. So I want to bask a little bit in this bull market blush, if you will, maybe a couple of months more. I do think we're going to get a test. The test might be middle of January. It might not be. But I don't think we're looking at a cataclysmic fall off the cliff. This is also an election year cycle. So that's sort of the, the wind behind the bulls. You have a lot of stuff that's going right. It doesn't, they don't have to. Powell does not have to cut. He just doesn't have to raise again. He's got to cut at a certain point. But I think that cut's going to take place probably mid-year where we start to come. Not in March, because there is, a, there is a thought that it's going to happen as early as March. Yeah, and, and the, the reason why I think it's mid-year versus March is that they have to stop QT. And I think they're slated to stop QT in June or so. So that would line up, or else it would just confuse the markets, cutting on one, raising on the other. All right, Bonowin, if you take a look at the narrative around whether or not the 
that things have been pulled forward. What do you think? Are, are we already giving up some of those gains because we've gotten them already in the last two months? Well, I think it's, it falls into two different buckets. So in terms of earnings expectations and earnings growth, I'm not sure that's necessarily been pulled forward. We, we really didn't have much earnings growth this year. And so looking for 10, 12, maybe slightly higher earnings growth, I think perhaps you know, that, that's pretty reasonable. What I do think has been pulled forward, however, is the rate story. Um, sorry, Steve, I, we, we're usually seeing eye to eye on a lot of these things. And this one, I, I think I'm on the, the reverse of your reverse reverse. <laughs> so, um, I, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, the, the March cuts are priced in terms of the Fed fund cycle. And it's not just about whether or not they cut. It's about the extent of cuts. And as some of our guests, you know, ha- have mentioned, this may be 75 to 125 bips overdone. So I think that has been pulled forward. And so the, the macro setup, I think, is a bit too rosy. I'm not really sure we have much wiggle room for anything to, to go wrong, for consumer spending to slow down, um, for, for housing prices to, to ha- have any type of um, hiccups or for mortgage rates to back up. So all of those things, you know, you've seen credit card balances over a trillion. So I think any type of shakeup in the consumer backdrop might create uh, and the rate backdrop might create hiccups and challenges and headwinds for us in 2024. You know, Julie, what's interesting about that macro backdrop is the rate cutting expectation is what arguably has powered a lot of the small cap move in the last two or three months of the year. Do you think that the small caps still need that rate cutting narrative to, to continue to try to play catch up with the large caps? Yeah, absolutely. You need that to happen in order for those to kind of maintain that they always have a little bit of a gap to a large cap, but you really want to have some kind of tailwind in terms of interest rates to kind of support these businesses. And it's it's pretty dependent on the soft landing as well. Most of them are pretty cyclical, pretty sensitive. You can find very high quality businesses in this space, but you know if you want to be an investor broadly in small cap, you better hope that everything goes right. I agree with Bonwin expectations are really high. If there is any kind of bobble, I think the market could have a pretty severe correction. Carter, have there been any signs of of iffiness in the market? So let's talk about the concept of pull forward, right? That only applies to the S&P, perhaps up 24%. If you look at the Russell 2000, to Jewish point, small caps have lagged. It's up only 15% year to date, so there's not a lot of pull forward. Or consider this, the Russell 3000 represents 98% of the investable capital in the United States. The median stock was up eight. So what pull forward? It's just the big names that have driven so much. In fact, of the 11 sectors in the S&P, only three outperform the market. So it's pulled forward in certain areas, but a whole lot of other things are not pulled forward at all. Now, does that set you up for this catch-up trade everywhere else in the market besides the Magnificent Seven or the top 10 in the S&P? Right. So the real question is, like, take the Russell 2000. All stocks added up are basically the same market cap as about Apple. Right. So so little money is required to move the bottom 2000. Um, I definitely think that's the play. If one had to do one simple, are you overweight or underweight, small versus large? I would go with small. Steve, what do you think? Is this one of those scenarios where it's going to be large versus small all over again in 2024? <clears throat> I, I don't know. I battle with that because we've had it, it's it's difficult. I think. I think you can have the Russell outperform for certain amounts of time, but I don't think that's going to be the theme because with passive investing, there's so much money that's drawn to those larger cap names that you can't help push those names forward and leave the others behind. But when you look at the Russell, 40% of the Russell 2000 is unprofitable. 
So to Julie's point, you need rates to, to stay low for them to have an equal shot, uh, you know, a, a bite at the bull, if you will. So I don't know if that's going to be the theme for the year. We saw when the bank, when the regional banks collapsed back back uh, in, in 2023, which is early earlier on. What was it in uh, in the spring of it? Basically, we saw the safe haven trade and then we saw the growth trade. So it's the tech is large cap tech is for the is the trade for all seasons. So I think it will always be there. Maybe the Russell can have a little bit of a day in the sun, but I don't think it's a theme. The interest rate complex is always going to be a focus because of the way it it influences valuations. I wonder, Bonowin, if you take a look at the valuations of the market right now, there are those who believe that the market is trading at the average forward price to earnings multiple it has over the last five years. So it's fairly valued. Others say that you got to look at the interest rate picture as well. Is the market fundamentally valued? Uh, I would say it's fully valued, certainly. I think around 19, maybe 19 and a quarter times. I, I, I don't think you can argue that it's undervalued by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think you can, like the other panelists have said, there are pockets, you know, that, that 19 times is a blend. So there are certainly pockets that are quite expensive. You know, if we're looking at the, the apples of the world, for example, in, within that Magnificent Seven, I think that's very different than looking at some of the, 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 the banks, for example, that are trading at eight times, uh, for example. So I, I just don't think it's a monolithic situation. In terms of the, the S&P historical average, sure, over five years or so or three to five years, 19 times seems to be in line. Over a longer period of time, I would argue that's on the rich side. All right, Julie, any signs of stress right now that you're seeing in credit markets that would lead you to believe that we are due for some kind of a pause or a downturn in the next several months? For sure. Anyone who has variable rate interest debt, so, you know, auto, those guys have seen more delinquencies rising. You know, mortgage is still quite stable, but that's because everyone locked in really low rates. So I think that is the place to kind of keep paying attention to on the health of the consumer. And then obviously the office market is the place that we're all really worried about how that's going to how that's going to pan out. And of course, we're in an office building right now, guys. Our next guest is out with a new note today saying that the markets could kick off 2024 with a short-term pullback, let's bring in New Edge Wealth's Ben Emmons, a guy who casts an eye on macro all the time. Ben, you heard the conversation on the desk. I wonder what you think about that overall big picture for the global economy. Is it supportive? And why do you think we're due for a pullback? Yeah, I would be with more of the others about this pullback. You know, there's, there's several signs, I think, Dom, for the short term. You know, if you look at the RSI indicator, um, you know, the S&P, the Nasdaq, and the Russell are all overbought on that indicator, but they mostly are overbought as much as they were overbought during the 2020-21, you know, let's say bubble moment. And they even as overbought for a longer period of time, you know, I think it's almost like a month and a half now. So that's quite stretched. And if you then take the story to interest rates that we're just discussing, you know, the market, the bond market, in my calculations, probably priced more like 75 basis points of excess rate cuts. It almost looks like the bond market is priced for this perfect scenario of, the, of a second Fed pivot to faster, deeper cuts. I think that's the tension as we're getting into the new year. You know, we have a packed agenda of, of, of big data. The economy shows some sign of acceleration. And GDP now went from one and a quarter percent to two and a quarter percent over the last sort of four weeks. So there's some sort of acceleration going on. So I think interest rates are primed to pick up a little bit from here and then take back that overbought condition on the equity indices. 
What part of the market is going to be the most vulnerable to that pullback? Is it going to be the stocks led to the upside? And if that's the case, then which stocks do you put on the list in case it's just a dip to buy? So I found notable, Dom, that, you know, if you look at small caps, right, and you plot that against the junk market, you know, take the J&K ETF against the uh, uh, Russell 2000 ETF. Since uh, the end of October, it's just exactly straight line up, more, more like, a, like a lockstep. So as Julie says too, and, and, and Steve says, look, these, these sectors are highly interest rate sensitive. I would almost call, call them like they're sensitive to the relief of interest rates. So if you get a bit of a backup in rates, I would think that there's where you see the first real correction. Seems like kind of a bit of a frothy moment there in, in each market. On the other hand, you know, the, the big cap, the mega cap are probably going to stay in, in a good trend here because that's really about earnings. And I don't see these earnings being downgraded so quickly just because we're getting a short term correction rate. So, Ben, when, when you look at overbought, obviously overbought, a stock can be overbought, the market can be overbought and it could work that off. But as far as that second pivot, I think the second pivot's going to come from uh, inflation falling a lot quicker. Have you calculated that? Do you think that could fall in a precipitous fashion and, and leave Powell sort of trying to catch up? Yeah, I think it's a good point, Steve, in the sense that if you look at the PCE uh, deflator that came out uh, the, the other day, you know, in that basket, there's deflation now. And, you know, there's about what I calculated, about 10, 15 percent of the index is in a deflation for the last sort of six months. A lot of these categories are influenced by supply. So it's maybe to an extent not so surprising, but it's telling. So say that that deflation starts spreading further in, in, in the core PCE deflator, then you get the scenario we saw back in 2022. The Fed is, again, behind the curve, ironically, having to come forward with more rate cuts faster. But I think at this moment where we are right now, you know, we're not yet in that really you know, like accelerated down move in inflation yet. So I think it probably is going to be something more of the second half of these rate cuts starting. Again, idea that the economy stays on its feet and inflation just continues to moderate, giving the Fed room for some rate cuts. So, Ben, in terms of gold, obviously something I know you like quite a bit. Um, yeah. Here we are two years later from the peak in the S&P. S&P is basically unchanged, and yet gold's up some 14 percent, one of the best assets over that two-year period. Obviously, you're sanguine on gold. You think gold's going higher this year. If you had to pick gold versus the S&P for the next 12 months, which do you prefer? Well, gold is, is, is interesting, Carter, because, you know, this is asset that can outperform in an environment where there's uncertainty. But it can also outperform an environment where you have easing conditions. And, and that's actually what's happening currently. Right? The, the last sort of month, as we talked of the previous show, you know, gold has had a reasonable performance here in December. It actually broke out to, the, to a record high when, when we talked about it. Um, I think this has more scope. I mean, if 2024 is a year where a lot of people do expect a fair bit of uncertainty, it probably will fuel gold. And on the other hand, this, this rate cut story, as we talked with Steve about, like, yeah, if you get accelerated rate cuts, then gold will really go a lot higher. So to me, gold is a, is a really interesting asset for 2024 as a diversification portfolio. I think it could add that in that sense value. Makes a lot of sense. Hi, Ben. Bonowin here. Happy holidays to you. So a quick question. In terms of uh, the dollar, it seems like it's made pretty much a full round trip um, over the past year or so. Can you kind of give us a bit of insight into what you're looking in terms of dollar strength or weakness and then what those implications are for possible offshore investing opportunities? 
Yeah, the dollar has just made this move now towards closer to 100 on the dollar index. And if you look at that move, you know, it's, it's really the peripheral cu uh, currencies like Norwegian Krona and, and uh, Kiwi and those type of currencies that have, have really been driving the move. But when I really think about the dollar getting weaker from here, you have to pay attention to the Japanese yen. Now we're getting signals from the BOJ governor Ueda that they are ready to make a move on rates sometime in the next quarter. And Japan has, has been this, this story of really good stock market, but with a really weak currency. So the currency has a lot of scope to rally. And I think that will be a big push for the dollar to get weaker. In addition that you do have the story in Europe as in there's some mild recession happening in certain countries like Germany. But yet the ECB is not so keen to pull the trigger on these rate cuts faster than the Fed does. So the euro will continue to have a bit of a lift here. So to me, when the dollar index gets below 100, you know, the history of that shows that commodity prices in emerging markets start to really lift up. So I think the dollar index has more scope to go down. And I think really, if you look at then emerging markets, to sum it up, is that emerging market bonds really look attractive in that sense. You know, they have undervalued currencies and higher rates than here in the U.S. All right, Ben, before we let you go, what's the key part of the stock market you're going to watch in 2024? What's the big storyline you'll be keying on? So it's, it's definitely the cyclical part of the market, Dom, because if, if you think about the soft landing of the economy, and it's so much of that now priced in that sector, you think of small caps, you think of consumer staples and, and consumer discretionary, I think this is, this is where the big story will be. If the soft landing doesn't pan out, that part of the market will really underperform. All right. Let's, uh, let's end it right there. Ben Emmons, thank you very much, and kind of send it around here. And Happy New Year, Ben, for you. All right, let's trade this, guys. I, Carter, we, we heard the big conversation right now. Is there a key part of the market you think that's poised, given the convo we just had with regard to 2024's outperformance story? I mean, I, I think the bet is, again, if, if, if one is any bullish at all, I think it has to be small cap. You, the divergence is getting to be at or near a record, and we've had recent outperformance. But my favorite asset class for 2024 is gold. Hard stop. All right. Gold's the trade. Still to come on the show, we'll go inside the flow show. How much did money did investors pile into the market and where did they put it? That breakdown's coming up straight ahead. But first, the consumers showed up and showed out this year. Their spending spree fueling big gains in the discretionary sector in 2023. Is 2024 the year they tap out, or can you still make money betting on the consumer? We'll debate when Fast Money returns. We're back into. You're watching Fast Money here on CNBC. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We're recognizing the big spenders out there who are playing a major role in the historic year for the markets. The consumer discretionary sector rallying almost 40 percent this year. It's right behind only technology and communication services on a year-to-date basis performance. Tesla and Amazon are among the biggest winners in the group by far. So what are the odds this consumer trend can keep spending and keep going in 2024? Bonowin, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I you mentioned a good point. If you look at Amazon and Tesla, I think that's about 41 or 42% of that XLY. And so I do think there's been a lot of performance that's been driven from just that tandem of stocks. If you look a bit broader, I think, you know, really for all the people, myself included, that were calling for a recession this year, it made a lot of sense to be short the consumer. And that hasn't happened. And so you tend to get that type of catch-up trade. I also th- think it makes a bit of sense to perhaps look at XRT as opposed to just XY because of the weighting issues that I just mentioned. If you look there, you're looking at about half of the performance or around 20%. So I think that might give you a bit more insight into a bit more true insight into the health of the consumer and what's likely to come from the second half of, sorry, the first half of uh, 2024 as perhaps there are more challenges that are realized. Julie, what do you think? Is the consumer going to power the U.S. economy and market again in 2024? I mean, the consumer powers our economy regardless of whatever is happening, right? It's thanks to the consumer, the health and their willingness really to spend their incremental dollar that we are where we are. My concern continues to be that we just don't have the level of cushion that we did in the last two years. November marks two years that the savings rate has been below the long-term average. And so we all know that eventually the music has to stop. People eventually have to give themselves a little more cushion. And so if there's any weakness in employment data, again, people don't have that cushion and that's going to impact discretionary spend the most. So that's a place that I'm really concerned. And I don't think it really even matters by cohort or income level, right? You look at the retailers and you saw retailers that were at the same level, high end, low end, whatever. Some did well some didn't you have to provide value now you really have to execute all right steve yeah speaking of cushion gasoline prices have Mm. been a bit of a tailwind they've been coming down incrementally that should be helpful for that discretionary spending that julie just spoke about the u.s is at record production right now and and the saudis tried to support that price opec tried to have cuts that were supportive of, of uh, energy prices, it didn't work. Whenever, whenever the Saudis or whenever the OPEC cuts, you, sh- you should be selling oil, not, not buying it. I think it's always counterintuitive. And I think the big, the big piece that we're missing is where I started. The U.S. is producing more than anyone thought they would produce under the Biden administration. It is an election year cycle. We need oil to stay low. Oil will most likely stay low or gas will stay low. But getting back to what Julie said, there was so much money thrown at the consumer during the pandemic. Yes, we're, we're, we're seeing that come in a little bit, but they still have that cushion. And as long as unemployment rate stays around historic lows, as long as the consumer has a job, as long as the, we stay really employed in this country, I don't think you're going to see a real, a real test here. There's been employment hoarding, job hoarding. Nobody wants to fire anyone unless you're in a tech company where you have to where you're you're forced to lay off because you ramped up employment so much over the uh, over the pandemic. As long as you have a job, I think the consumer's okay. All right. There's a lot more fast money to come, so here's what's coming up next. 
Gold strutting into 2024 with its eyes on the prize. Record highs. Will investors take a shine to the precious metal in the new year, or will it lose its luster? We'll scour the charts coming up. Plus, a record year for buy now, pay later. A firm affirming its status as 2023's top tech stock. But can the high flyer keep the pace after quintupling? We'll tackle that trade next. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Gold shining bright. The precious metal ending the day slightly lower, but it is closing out the year up more than 13%. It's first positive year in three, and this as investors turn away from U.S. dollar on weakness and Carter, that currency and gold story is kind of intermingled. Right. So there's two kinds of relationships, inverse and direct. And there is this overarching theme that there's an inverse relationship between the dollar and gold bullion. But that's a shorter term phenomenon. And that can be the case on a rolling three, six month basis. But the, the main message from gold here is that it has been contending with the prospects of a breakout for three years. In fact, gold is exactly where it was 2,075 an ounce plus minus in late 2020. And so um, there is an adage or an expression, the more authority a level has, the more authoritative the resolution. This level, in effect, for three years, and we just are probing new all-time highs. It's just the beginning what should it be a multi-year and very important move. And again, I would point out that if the S&P is the big thing, and we are now back to unch two years later, how did gold do versus the S&P 500 since the all-time high? It killed it. 14% versus unch over the last two years. All right, Bonowin, what do we think about that gold trade? Yeah, I, I think the fundamentals stack up and, and support uh, Carter's technical view. I mean, he also mentions the fundamentals, but just like adding in the other aspect of it. Essentially, you have dollar weakness, which I think is supportive. You have uncertainty coming forward, whether or not you're, you're a bull or a bear. You have to admit that there is some uncertainty in terms of rates, the extent of cuts, and the ability for the consumer to continue to spend. And I think those two things, as well as a technical picture, support GLD or however else you want to invest in gold. Julie, is it, is it a part of any portfolio allocation that you're looking at right now, precious metals in general, gold, maybe even silver these days? All right, so let's throw it to you, Steve, yes. because I think we're having some... So, so I, what, uh, Carter just talked about correlations, and when I look at digital gold, which is Bitcoin, there's a lot of uh, all those uh, side bets on the, on the stocks that are related to Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies that have outperformed. So when you look at gold, I don't disagree with anything Carter said. I think that gold will have eventually its breakout time in the sun, but there's a lot of gold bugs that are aging, 
There's not a lot of the younger generation or more Bitcoin or cryptocurrency uh, centric. So I think you're going to wind up pushing those stocks higher and those will be competing for. So uh, Bitcoin is the digital gold. And then you have gold. I think they're going to be fighting it out. They've already had a huge run, huge (laughs) run this year. All right, guys, coming up on the show, the chart of the day, chart of the week. No. We're talking chart of the year, or multiple charts of the year. The traders look back on the most important charts of 2023 and lay out the names that they're watching for a breakout in 2024. Plus, the ARK Innovation Fund roaring back to life to finish out 2023 as one of the market's top, yes, top exchange-traded funds. But what other surprise names made a splash? We'll go inside the best and worst ETFs of 2023 with a top expert in the industry right after this. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks dipping into the red on the last trading day of a very good year. The Dow falling just about a tenth of a percent. The S&P dropping about 13 points and the Nasdaq finishing just about a half a percent lower. A handful of big names closing out the year, though, at fresh all-time highs. We're talking names like Lululemon, Boston Scientific, General Dynamics, Ross Stores, amongst others. Now, on to the flow show. 2023 was a strong year for ETFs, with total inflows crossing a half a trillion dollars, a hundred billion of that coming in just November alone. Investors piled into U.S. equities and taxable bond funds this year, as well as, what else, large cap stocks, single stock ETFs, and cryptocurrencies. So here now to take us inside the numbers is Vetify Head of Research, Todd Rosenbluth. Todd, thank you very much for being here. Let's talk about the trends in the flow show of 2023. What really stuck at, stood out to you? Well, we started the year with a lot of investor interest in fixed income, short-term fixed income, protecting against rising interest rates. The last two months have been $100 billion each. November and December, as of yesterday, according to Vetify data, we've seen money going in to ETFs, particularly large-cap equity ETFs, SPY, the S&P ETF from State Street, uh, has actually been driving that. uh, Significant inflows in the month of December as people prepare for year-end heading into 2024. If you take a look at the way things have shaped up for 2024, what do you think is going to be the big thing, thematic, ETF-wise, that's going to draw the most attention and, and money in? Well, the most attention is certainly going to be a potential spot Bitcoin ETF being approved likely in the next week or two uh, and then launching soon after. And we expect that the exchange conference we at Vetify host in February, there'll be multiple products that are there. They're lining up to do so. We've got Bitwise and BlackRock. Grayscale is likely to be able to convert their trust into an ETF. That's going to be the story to kick off the year. And then it's going to be what happens with the Federal Reserve, the number of rate cuts that are going to happen, and do we get a rotation towards value and more defensive investing as opposed to the risk on growth that we've seen so far this year? Do you think it's going to be more of a, an attention getter, bonds, funds and crypto funds versus stock ETFs, which is what many people just think about when they think about ETFs? Yeah. So stock ETFs are still going to be driving the lion's share of the inflows year after year. It's whether it's a risk on or risk off environment. But we now are seeing investors rotate into ETFs to get exposure for their bonds through TLT, for example, that we saw uh, 20 plus year Treasury was the most popular fixed income ETF. We've seen uh, crypto as a way of getting exposure using ETFs. You were talking about gold earlier, but equities are still king in the ETF space. 
So, Todd, when you look at the passive nature of investing right now and, and spiders, spy just blew, blew off all records from what we've seen previous to it. Does it make it so that people th- through passive investing are buying larger cap names or do you think they have a shot at obviously there's ETFs for small cap names? Do you see them you know, jockeying for a uh, position on, on the attention of the consumer? Yeah, I mean, we've seen small cap rally in recent weeks and months uh, as rates have pulled back. Uh, the iShares Russell 2000 ETF, IWM, has certainly performed very well. We've seen other products that are doing well. I think if the market broadens out, as is likely to happen in 2024, we see more small cap, more equally weighted strategies gain attention. RSP, which is the, the equal weight S&P 500, pulled in uh, top 10 net inflows for the year despite significantly underperforming the broader market. So there's largely an ETF for most exposures that people want. And what about this idea? I mean, we mentioned single stock ETFs being a huge kind of like growth area. It's not an absolutely large part. But what part about the stock market do you think? What kinds of stories, what kinds of companies are going to be driving that ETF stock narrative in 2024? Well, we saw in 23, it was Coinbase, it was Tesla, it was NVIDIA, and there are leveraged, one and a half times leveraged ETFs that exist for people who want the ease of use instead of buying options directly. Uh, we're also seeing options use in other strategies uh, through covered calls. Um, JP Morgan's JEPI, JEPI, uh, has been extremely popular. It has helped to drive actively managed ETFs. And so I think we're going to see more adoption of actively managed ETFs heading into 2024, whether it's a more single stock-specific approach to it or it's going to be a broader market that's more defensive uh, as newer entrants have come into the market. All right. Todd Rosenbluth at Vetify, thank you very much. Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, all. All right. Thanks very much, Todd. Uh, Let's go out to Julie right now. Can you tell me whether or not your clients are demanding ETF products and exposure more so than, say, single stocks? And has it been trending that way, one way or the other, over the last several years? Sure. I think you could definitely see, you know, the average retail investor is looking at ETFs as a way to gain exposure. And then for those hot stocks like a Tesla, you definitely see the single stock ETFs getting more interesting for them. You know, and for us managing the mutual funds themselves, we don't trade in the ETFs, but we do compete against them. And I think that they can be a really great way for for investors to gain diversification. But it is, you know, these single stock ETFs that give you leverage. I think people don't really recognize how powerful that can be when it goes against you. So that's the only thing I would keep in mind. All right. That does it for the ETF trade. Coming up on the show, riding the buy now, pay later wave, BNPL, shares of a firm are quintupling. Yeah, quintupling this year. You heard that right. Quintupling. I'll say it again. As the financing option gains some steam, can the name keep riding that swell in consumer buy now, pay later? We'll debate that coming up next. Plus, the charts of this year and next, where traders have their favorite technical picks for 2023 and a New Year's pick as well. Those names when Fast Money returns after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. A firm is closing out 2023 as the year's very top tech stock. This comeback hit lost more than 90% of its value back in 2022 before roaring back to life in a record year for the buy now, pay later trade. But can that stock, a firm, that this year. See what I did there? Or is it just that. a fluke? All right. Kate Rooney joins us now with more on that story. Hi, Kate. Hi, Dom. So firm, it's the MVP when it comes to tech stocks this year. It might also be the most improved player, the MIP, we sometimes call that. The lender was looking at losses of around 90% at this time 
last year, and unprofitable tech names like Affirm had been some of the most beaten up names as the Fed started hiking rates with rate cuts now on the horizon. Investors have warmed back up to some of the money-losing growth stories out there. It's also a way for investors to get in on that buy now, pay later trend. BNPL payments, as they're also called, were up about 15% this year, according to Adobe. And Affirm is also among the most highly shorted names out there. Short covering this year has sparked some of the biggest rallies in Affirm, and it's become among retail investors' favorite stocks. Almost a quarter of volume in December, for example, came from individual traders. That's according to Vanda Research. The stock has seen a series of downgrades, though, in recent weeks. Morgan Stanley, for example, calls the valuation right now hard to justify. They say that it's aggressive assumptions uh, at this point, and they say that will still only drive a dollar in earnings by 2028. But in the near term, rally's been a good thing for some of the company insiders. Shopify, for example, the e-commerce company, owns 4% of a firm. That stake now worth over half a billion dollars. And you've got CEO Max Levchin with the company's stake now worth $1.4 billion. So a lot to celebrate for Levchin here coming into the new year, John. Back to you. All right. Some affirmation. Thank you very much, Kate Rooney. Quintuple? I thought it was quintuple. We're debating this back here. (laughs) you say potato, I say potato. Kate, thank you very much. Happy New Year. We'll see you soon. Happy New Year, John. All right. Let's trade this, guys. Carter, I'm going to go to you first on the charts because this has been a massive move higher. But let me look at a three- to four-year chart (laughs) on this. You bring up the the, the salient point. So you can have a headline that says a firm up 408% for the year. You could start your article there. Or you could say a firm at the beginning of the year was down 92% from its high, and now it's down 73. Hmm. Meaning, okay, it moved a lot, but this is not a, this is the kind of thing that happens when you drop 90%. But you're still so impaired. It was a $76 stock. It's trading at 49. I would fade the strength. All right. What do you think, Steve? So, so this is one where we started off the show talking about lower rates. This is the reason why these, these names really take off. And, and if you look at a SoFi or an Affirm, is there more left in the tank? I, I, w- I wish I would have caught that. So, so I, I, I agree completely with what Carter's saying. Nothing changes but the math of where you entered the name. So had, had I you know, been smart enough to see that happening, I would have liked to have had those gains. Can it go higher? Rates have to continue to fall. All right. Now, Bonawin, this is a story that could have legs or has it run its course. What do you think? Listen, I think over the long term, I mean, the, the, the bull case argument is essentially that they're going to be a full stop, one stop shop financial institution. So I think that long term story, sure, if you buy into it secularly, I, I can get behind that. Um, with that said, I am more of a fader of this name, but I have been down this road before in terms of these rebel stocks with high short interest and a very keen retail following. So the volatility in the name um, you know, I, uh, frankly, if, if I'm trading it in the short term, I'm actually probably buying it with an oppor- looking for opportunities to get short, but with a very, very tight stop on covering those shorts. Julie, this is a name that a lot of people got into with the Walmart news. Remember when they said they were they were going to expand their partnership with Walmart and they were going to have buy now, pay later at self checkout kiosks at Walmart. Is this now becoming more of a retail phenomenon as well, because people just know the name. Yeah, I I think that's right. I think the retail investor is starting to really support this name. They see it, they use it. And so it feels like a great name to own, kind of like Tesla. You know, at the end of the day, though, the fundamentals of this business aren't great. It's hard for me to get excited about something that's earning a dollar in 2028 to feel confident with a business model that hasn't been backtested and that is completely reliant on people's willingness to pay back a sweater that they bought six months ago. 
when student loans are coming in. It's just for me, for a fundamental long-term investor, I, this isn't for me. All right. Coming up on the show, it's been the moment you've been waiting for. The Fast Money traders are going to reveal their charts of the year in 2023 and the names they could be the charts of 2024. You're not going to want to miss this, so stay tuned. Welcome back to the big show, Fast Money, with 2023 trading in the books and the new year approaching fast. We thought we'd be uh, at least looking at it for a good time to get our traders' top picks for 2023 for the charts and where they're sitting their sights or setting their sights on 2024. And Carter, we got to kick it off with you. You're the, you're the chart master, the technician, the top chart for this year and next. Well, if you just went with performance, uh, the number one performing stock in the S&P 1500 composite is Abercrombie & Fitch. Um, up th- almost 300%, but it's too much, right? This stock has a boom and bust cycle. Several times it's had 300, 400% returns only to give it all back if you look all the way back over the last 20 years. And we suspect that's exactly what's coming. A lot of this will be given back. In terms of 2024, gold. Uh, again, I didn't uh, see that coming. You never no, saw that coming. shocking. <laughs> Um, and, and General Electric also, just to point out, this is an important, uh, of all the stocks, when we say a stock's up 300% or that a firm, those are not really important companies. Abercrombie is just one of reason. General Electric is a very important company. It just had its best year ever, up 95%. And I would think there's more to come. All right. Julie, what do you think about yours? Uh, so I think you have the option of doing, getting a stock that did as well performance-wise as Tesla, but you get it without a megalomaniac midlife crisis guy running it. So this is Fair Isaac FICO. <laughs> Company delivered you know, 94% growth in its performance. It is a really stable, high-quality business that obviously has exposure to consumer credit, a great brand, really high moats. So you know, I'm not surprised that this was an outperformer this year. And for 2024, you know, there has been so much pent-up demand to be doing deals. And I would expect that a lot of PE firms are getting calls from their LPs to liquidate. And, you know, it's been pretty static, but we're seeing more opportunities. And Molis is an investment bank that's almost entirely focused just on this. They have all the resources to be able to execute on these deals. And so I think it's particularly well positioned. It has such strong earnings power. Interesting. Fair Isaac. That's a good one. Bonowin, what do you think? So I don't think you can really mention 2023 without at least hinting at the AI story. And I think NVIDIA has been the poster child for that. So NVIDIA, given their performance and just given the thematic um, presence of AI in 2023, that's my pick there. Uh, As for 2024, I think that the GLP-1 and weight loss drugs have put an enormous amount of pressure on the non-Novo, non-Lily major pharmaceutical names to do deals, to grow their portfolio and drug pipeline. And the reason and the way that they're likely going to be able to do that is through acquisitions. And we've been on the show talking about IBB versus XBI. I actually like XBI in this particular case because of the fact that given the weighting, a very small acquisition that you're paying two, three, four hundred times for can drive performance um, 
in, a, in an outsized way. So that's what I'm looking for in 2024. Interesting. All right, Steve, round it out for us. Your picks. A, the- a grayscale Ethereum trust. So we talked about it before in the ETF segment, uh, just briefly. This is a name that has uh, really had a tailwind of getting to that ETF status if they are granted it, granted that status. So it's up over 300%. This is a name that I've been in. It's been my my first or second top holding, depending on the price on the day. Um, This is one that I think has further gas left in the tank, but it had an incredible 2023. Switch to 2024. Much more boring. This is a name that you know. Paper and packaging. And people out there in the X-verse know the one I'm talking about. Are you going to talk about cardboard? Cardboard? I'm going to talk about corrugated. I'm going to talk about cardboard. You want to pick my brain? No, I don't want to do it. West Rock. All right. West Rock. So Smurfit Kappa. Uh, are merging with or taking them over. It's going to be the largest paper company. So it has that cyclical bent for 2024. No one's paying attention to it. When the deal officially closes, I think people are going to wish they had the chance to buy this thing. This could be one of those up 100% as well. All right, I love it. A name we don't often talk about here on Fast Money, West Rock. All right, thanks very much for all the charts and trades, guys. Coming up next, your final trades. Keep it right here. All right, it's time for the final trades. Let's go around the horn. Julie, you first. You know, uh, Bonwin touched briefly on the biotech situation. I think the funding is going to come back. Zenta is one of the service providers in that space, and so I think they're really well positioned to do well in 2024. All right, Bonwin. Listen, I think historically conventional wisdom has been that you can be long Japan, but you don't want to be long the currency. I, given, I think given what we're seeing in both FXY and the dollar, you can actually own both EWJ. All right, Carter. L2 ETFs, uh, GLD, of course, that's the Spider Gold ETF, and then also the iShares Silver, SLV. I would own them both in a big way. All right, and Steve. It's, it's New Year's. It's, it's coming up. It's coming up. There's going to be a you're million gonna... people out there in a couple days. Happy New Year to everyone out there. And and Dom, you're uh, you're dropping the ball this year. No, I'm Are not. You not. Fake news. Oh, fake no, news. Not fake news. <laughs> there. Not going to happen. So another <laughs> another uh, deal stock. Dish Networks. No, everyone forgets about this stock, including myself. It's up 58 percent for the month. I think it can go higher. All right, everyone, thanks very much for joining us here on this final trading day of the year. Happy New Year, everybody out there. We've appreciated your time. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. See you next year. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. 
See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.